Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat, and um, if you've got a copy of God's Word with you, uh, get it open to Matthew uh, chapter 5. Um, if you don't know me or we have not met, uh, my name is Pastor Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Church, and uh, just excited uh, for this time together in God's Word. And uh, we're continuing our Kingdom Culture series. This is our a very slow and purposeful journey through uh, the Sermon on the Mount that you can find in Matthew 5 through 7. Um, so thankful for the last two weeks of Pastor Jeremy leading us um, from the Word and so thankful for the partnership in the uh, a teaching that allows for that load to be for certain lessened. And uh, so today as we conclude, um, we're gonna actually going to conclude this Beatitudes section of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I've been so thankful and uh, personally for uh, what honestly at the beginning I, I had a little bit of like, you know, uh, anxiousness about, uh, man, we're really going to go this slow through the Beatitudes. But it was so encouraging that as we did that, I started hearing from people and even my own self, I would testify to the fact that uh, that pace was good. And there's some things that God has needed to teach our church about what it means to abide in Christ and and the purposefulness of that to really form the character of Christ, that the essential nature of the, of the kingdom culture is formed as we abide in Christ. Because that's where we experience transformation. And uh, we want to see this kingdom culture established in your lives, in your families, in your homes, and then in our church. And so today we're going to cover a honestly kind of unexpected but essential topic for any disciple of Jesus Christ. And so if you've got your Bibles open to Matthew 5, uh, get ready. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to jump in. God, thank you for uh, your work. This is your work. It's for your glory. And even in this moment, as we have your word opened, we are asking for your spirit to lead us to convict us to shine the light of your truth onto some aspect of our life that might result in us uh, God being encouraged or convicted or um, uh, corrected in some way or led in a direction. So I'm asking that you would do that work for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, a key principle we kind of talk about all the time around our church, and um, I just love to reemphasize it. It, it comes up in a variety of ways, is this principle. It's that expectations impact your perspective. Your expectations impact your perspective, and your perspective impacts your response to what's happening in your life. For example, if you expect a newborn baby to look like the cute pictures you see in commercials, then you're going to be disturbed and a bit shocked by the sort of sloppy, sticky, cone-headed, gangly little creature that you hold for the first time as a new parent. You're like, oh, gosh. And if, if, if you think it's cute, it's not, okay? Um, maybe only to a parent, and that's debatable. Um, if you expect marriage to bring abundant peace and joy and very little struggle, because I have found the love of my life, then you're going to be shocked and, 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 and a little bit uh, struggle with conflict in marriage. But if you expect marriage to teach and train you to be like Christ by revealing your sin and weaknesses all the time, and if you're a partner in that with the gospel being the overwhelming center for your life, then you're going to lean into conflict with humility so that you can listen and learn 
how God wants to transform you to love more like Christ. It's expectation, it's perspective. And in this last beatitude, like Jesus talks about persecution as a blessing. And he sees persecution as an expectation and points you to a perspective that is intended to anchor your soul in joy as you endure persecution. And so let's, let's read this in full and let's see this together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Follow along with me in your copy of God's word. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's start with this word blessed. We've done this in every a message in this because of the importance of this as sort of an underlying principle that we see throughout this passage when the word blessed is used so many times. So it's the last time we're going to go through this, but these principles need to be uh, really born onto our hearts. Here it is. Blessed, this word used here, should be translated flourishing more accurately to the intention of the word. Flourishing comes from actively and regularly being with Jesus, not from doing right or religious actions. You flourish when you have a be attitude, an attitude dependent on being with Jesus. And when we say be with Jesus, we're saying by communing with him regularly and individually and corporately, where you hear from his word, where you speak to him in prayer, and you yield to the leading of, the, of his spirit to manifest, to bring about these beatitudes so that you can flourish in God's kingdom. Those are, that's this idea of blessed, so much in it. So the big move now in the context of this passage that we looked at just now that we read, note this, big move, respond to persecution with joy by fixing your eyes on eternity. And what we're going to see as we walk through this is really two things. Two exhortations, a change your expectations, and change your perspective. If you want this big move to be a reality of your life, to respond to persecution with joy by fixing your eyes on eternity, you need to have your expectations changed and your perspective changed. So let's start with expectation. One, expect persecution. Expect persecution. This is the first sermon from Jesus. He wastes no time going at this subject, outlining it to his followers. God wants you to know that you'll be persecuted. In other passages, it's even more explicit. John 15, he, Jesus says, you are not of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's like, is that like a mild form of hate? Is that like a slight dislike? No, it's hate. It's, it's, it just hates you. That's what the world will do to the followers of Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. It's a promise, not our favorite promise, but a promise. 1 Peter 4, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. And here, so similar to Matthew 5, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. 
start to see the encouragement there. It's coming for every disciple of Jesus. If you are following the way of Jesus, if you're desiring to live a godly life, if you are slowly over time as the work of God's Spirit begins to play out on your life, you start to become set apart from the world. If you start to practice righteousness out of being made like Christ, if you start proclaiming the name of Christ as the highest allegiance of your life, you will be persecuted. Expect it. Expect it. There's three categories of persecution highlighted in this passage. Look at them with me. First, revile. That's a strong word. We were talking earlier this week on our staff, and one person said that revile, the idea here is malicious contempt. That the picture of this would be sort of harsh criticism with a demeaning tone in response to perceived faults. Sometimes people can see the character of Jesus and assume so many things about our uh, that they're at fault, and they can even begin to, to talk at us with a demeaning tone and sometimes categorize us with a whole group of people that we don't even want to be associated with. Revile, it, it literally carries the idea of being disgusted by someone. So, so that's, that's, an, that's something that's felt or perceived about you. That can be persecution. Also, persecute. Just that idea is actions that, that, um, that can bring about uh, emotional or physical suffering. It's motivated by the disgust or the reviling that then leads to actions taken to bring suffering and even death in some circumstances. And then utter all kinds of evil. This is speech. So we've got emotion towards, we've got actions towards, and we have speech. Utter all kinds of evil. Communicating abusive words to damage your reputation and tear you down. So if you can think about it like this, this expect persecutions, it's, it's on a pretty long continuum. Even in our world today, based on simply where you live, the uh, continuum and the degree to which you might experience persecution can be majorly different around the world. But the continuum can start at one end, on the low end, with a sort of like, just a, a disdain or a distancing from the person who's the follower of Christ, and maybe you don't even actually hear about it, but you sometimes sense it. How many have experienced a persecution like that, like just a distancing from? And then there's all the way to the other extreme can be literally what in some areas of our world is playing out even to today, which is systematic genocide. And we've got a group of people in power who are like, we, we not only dislike or have revile them, we actually want to systematically kill them. And that level of continuum of persecution is what Jesus is talking about here. And at this point, you've got to be like, man, this is such an encouraging message. I'm really glad I came to church today. I'm really excited about this. This is so, so encouraging. Listen, listen, you're not supposed to be, and I'm not believing that this passage is encouraging you or guiding you to be excited about the reality or encouraged by the reality of persecution. But you should be encouraged by God's loving preparation. There's the word. Preparation. Expect persecution. God teaches us so he can prepare us so you are not surprised. You're not shocked when it comes into your life. And, and so you're not, you're not in a position where when it comes, you're like, how could God allow this? Instead, God 
lovingly and the very first message that Jesus gives is like, expect it, expect it. But to understand this passage, what I want to make sure we don't miss is there's a qualifier that follows persecution that's incredibly important to understand. The qualifier that follows in verse 10 is blessed are those who are persecuted. It doesn't stop there. It says what, church? For righteousness sake. Then later on in verse 11 it says, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The promise of blessing in this passage only applies when persecution is for righteousness sake. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a um, very well-respected uh, a pastor and writer, um, uh, wrote an extensive book on the Sermon on the Mount that's been such a deep encouragement and help to me. And in, in talking about this passage, he clarifies a bit of the parameters of what it means when it says, for righteousness sake. So let me share those and then expand on them a bit for us today. Um, first, we're not blessed when you're persecuted for being objectionable is the word he uses. And let me just expand this. Like, If you're being abrasive, foolish in your speech, offensive in your tone, then you're facing unnecessary persecution. Let's just be clear. It's not blessed. You're facing consequences for acting like a fool, not for righteousness' sake. And we need to be super careful that in our desire to represent Christ to the world, that we don't do it in the form of the world and then call it persecution, when really it should be a correction to the tone and the way that we're communicating it and representing Christ. Next, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, not blessed when you're persecuted for being fanatical. The idea that he communicates here that I love is being like overzealous, like over-communicating, co- finding every room to like constantly pressure at every point in every situation for your message to get across uh, with complete and total disregard for the person. In, in that, the truth is, is that you're actually just being annoying. Okay, can I say that to you lovingly? I think the Church of Jesus Christ should actually say that a bit more to each other, a little more regularly. Like, actually, I think what you're, I think the problem is not your truth and how you're communicating it, but the way you're doing it is the problem. So let's process through that. But persecution, because you're being fanatical, not for righteousness' sake. And then finally, not blessed when you're persecuted for political reasons. If you want to stand for your political principles or for a certain candidate, great. But if you suffer persecution, the principle of this passage does not apply. Discern carefully between political prejudices and spiritual principles. Be explicitly careful. And I will take a moment at the end of the service to talk about that for today's environment. We'll just say that. There's lots of reasons why someone might be persecuted, but the applicability of this passage is clear. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The, the idea that Jesus is communicating is that if I'm living a godly life, if I am living in the uh, abiding relationship with Christ, I'm following the way of Jesus, that I'm desiring to live a godly life, I'm, I'm wanting to be set apart from the world. I'm practicing righteousness. I'm proclaiming the name of Christ for the sake of righteousness. Expect persecution even then. And let me add this. Don't forget that Jesus 
faced, yes, persecution from the world, but also a tremendous amount of persecution from the religious community. Often, persecution comes from nominal Christians who value the routines of religion, but are not experiencing the transforming work of Jesus. I think for some of you, this strikes a chord maybe even more than what the world has brought. Nominal Christians who protect their religious structures while failing to abide in Christ. Religious Christians who love to define and defend truth propositions on every issue while disregarding Christ's call to love. Some of us might even be able to put ourselves in the place of being convicted this morning by being the one that is persecuting. Let's be careful. Don't be surprised when persecution comes from within the church of Jesus Christ. Just be careful to make sure that your response and the way that you're living your life is for righteousness' sake. Expect persecution. We're blessed, o- we're blessed only if it is for righteousness' sake. And so it can come from the world or it can come from religious people. So, so let me just ask you, where is persecution played out in your life? For righteousness' sake, like... I want you to know that this can be an incredibly heavy reality. Some of you, though, have not faced this category of persecution because the truth is is that you either have not put your faith in Jesus Christ and so there is no abiding in Christ, there's no fruit that's being produced of righteousness, or there might be an area of your life that you're not being persecuted in because that part of your life has not yet been yielded to Jesus. And so you're not facing persecution because you're not set apart. You're not facing persecution because your, your, your life looks exactly like the world. And people are like, why would I, why would I persecute you? You might say you're, you go to church and love Jesus, but you, you act and live the same way as me. We need to think about that. Because that means there's an area where you're not abiding in Christ, and so you're not persecuted because you're not different than the world. You need to discover the, the true message of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, either in a specific area of your life or for some this morning. This message could be a moment of going, I'm not persecuted in any way. Do I, do I have the righteousness of Christ in me? Have I put my faith in Jesus? Or do I just walk through the religious routines and expectations? I trust God's spirit to convict you of that and we're available to process through that with anyone. But Also, there's some of you who have experienced great loss Rejection from friends and family. Exclusion from certain groups. You've been reviled, evil uttered against you, various levels of persecution. Some of you, I know, have been actually separated from past church community because you chose a righteousness in Christ, a commitment to wanting to be at a place where you were going to be taught and encouraged to abide in Christ, not just walk through uh, some... some, some, uh, religious traditions, and so you've been persecuted in that, separated from people because you chose that over religious traditions. Persecution can be disrupting and and painful to your life, and especially when it endures, and I just want to say to you this morning, I, I recognize, I've experienced my own life in different times, it's heavy, it's heavy. It's something you carry that we've got to learn to walk in, but God's word says to us, expect persecution. So if God's communicating that that to expect persecution, then I want you to know and hear upon the authority of scripture that God sees you and he's wanting to do something through what you're experiencing. 
And I believe even in this message, he wants to show you, show you that right perspective will bring blessing. To understand that, let's continue to the next point. Number two, fix your eyes on eternity to respond with joy. Expecting persecution helps you prepare for when it comes. It gives you an awareness of it so you're not surprised. But I love, love, love how God goes further than that. Like he doesn't want to leave you just with an expectation. He actually wants to shape your perspective so that into that reality can flow joy. This is, this is now what God wants to unpack for us is the actual, how do I understand this blessedness of persecution? What does that mean? What's God communicating here in his word? And, and I wanted you to know that it's not just a blessedness for some moment in the future that I can only look to and wait for. He wants the blessedness of persecution to be something that I can live in right now. Right now. Right in the place where I'm being persecuted. Even at times, and I've seen this historically in the church and seen it in the testimony of my brothers and sisters in Christ, even in the moment when you're being persecuted. Because, because being persecuted, there's something being pointed to here in this passage that when you're persecuted, for righteousness' sake, it gives you a distinct perspective that brings joy. So let me see if I can unpack this and make this clear to us. First, look at the evidence in Scripture. Verse 10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you look back in verse 3, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So now you have in the beatitudes, at the front end and the bottom, this reference, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice also that the first a move to the kingdom of heaven is poor in spirit. There's a pain in the emptiness of understanding our own sin and the sin of the world. And now at the bottom end, sort of capturing the Beatitudes, is the pain that comes from persecution, but the full reality that we have for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's something being evidenced in these two places of pain that both produce the realities of the character of the kingdom culture, and hold us when we walk through these places of pain. And so, so verse 12 just doubles down on that. It says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Like th This word, when it says rejoice and be glad, listen, I, I just got to give it to you as the word is saying. It's saying rejoice. It's saying literally a feeling of being joyful. And then Sometimes I think scripture reemphasizes things because I think God knows we're going to doubt it. You give me one rejoice, I'm not really going to believe it. He's rejoice and be glad. The, the, the re-emphasis of this same with a different word is, is just taking this idea of joy and saying, no, no, not just joy, but extreme joy. So when you understand that, you just got to go, How? How can you be exceedingly glad and joyful when facing the weight and pain of persecution? Let me unpack it like this. First, when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, meaning that the righteousness of Jesus that's emerging from you and all clothed in the character of Christ is emerging from your life, that you're being persecuted for that reality. Remember, we gave the clarifiers for righteousness' sake. 
what is happening in this that is uh, that is kind of awe-inspiring and joy-giving is this what's happening when you face the persecution is is it's 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 an evidence and a, and a, almost a truthfulness being affirmed in what you're declaring and what you're declaring is this when you stand and endure persecution for righteousness sake what you're saying cr- with with crystal clear clarity and very loudly not with volume but with strength, is my faith is in Jesus. And I'm submitted to him. And Jesus is my Lord. And I will persevere in the direction he leads, even if I face resistance in the form of persecution. And what that does is, it proves and establishes in your own heart and in the light of the world, who you are following, who you are becoming like, who you are, and where you are going. That's why it can bring joy. And the joy comes from this perspective that as you endure persecution, just increasingly over time gets more proven and established. And you begin to do way more than just read for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh no, when you've walked in that way, when your faith has been tested through that trial that comes in persecution, there's something so precious about that statement that you're literally living into this statement, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Your eyes are looking to the reward of heaven as it talks about in verse 12, and you look at earth and and what you're receiving from earth, even in the moment of persecution, you're like, yeah, okay. Uh, My eyes are so on this right now, so captivated by it, so compelled by it, so finding the satisfaction and the joy and the peace that comes from relationship with Jesus that whatever you come at me with is, is not going to stick. Persecution defines more fully that you've been set apart. You don't show righteousness, you don't choose righteousness unless it comes right out of the character of abiding in Christ. There's perspective found here. Here it is. I tried to sum it up for us in a way that I hope will be memorable. Perspective. Perseverance through persecution is the proof of my promised place in eternal paradise. Perspective. Perseverance through persecution is the proof of my promised place in eternal paradise. And so let's just let's look at another passage that reemphasizes this just to make a point the point more deeply. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 16 and 18. The church at Corinth not that not for the ancient world not that much different than our our culture today in the United States. A rampant um, uh, uh, just selfishness and um, they were a a key city in the ancient world in regards to commerce and uh, financially they would be definitely on the wealthier end and uh, sexual depravity uh, ripped through that entire area. As you read First and Second Corinthians, you see uh, Paul talking about that in here. In Second Corinthians 4, Paul writes this. So we do not lose heart. Perseverance. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, that perspective only comes by abiding in Christ. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Every instance of persecution, when you stand for righteousness' sake, both with the character of Jesus and confidently in the truth and the path that he lays out for you to walk through the way of Jesus defined by scripture uh, brings you to a, a greater degree of being captivated by this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Perseverance through persecution is the proof of my promised place in eternal paradise. I mean, when you're walking in this place, like you're in good company, verse 12, the second half says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What were the prophets known for? They were like, the Messiah's coming. The Messiah's coming. See, what they had hoped for was the coming of the Messiah that would make realized all of the realities of the gospel. And now for those of us, saints on the other side of the cross, we're captivated with heaven going, listen, all of this is a light and momentary affliction compared to the thing that my heart is enamored with. <laughs> Joy in persecution because their perspective was fixed on eternity. I couldn't help but include this quote again, Martin Lloyd-Jones helps us in talking about this passage. Here's what he highlights, a beautiful summary of heaven. And what I want you to do as I walk through this, I want you to receive it, believer. I want you to receive it with eyes of faith. I want it to wash over your heart and your circumstances and your life. I want it to get fixed in your perspective. Here it is. We shall see him as he is and worship in his glorious presence. Our very bodies will be changed and glorified with no sickness or disease. There will be no sorrow, no sighing. All tears shall be wiped away. All will be perpetual glory. No wars or rumors of wars. No separation, no unhappiness. Nothing that drags a man down and makes him unhappy even for a second. Unmixed joy and glory and holiness and purity and wonder. Thus, that is what is awaiting us. That is your destiny. And mine in Christ as certainly as we are alive at this moment. How foolish are we? How foolish we are that we do not spend our time in thinking about that. And so it, it begs the question... Are we thinking about that? How, how often in the midst of your day and in the midst of all of the things that can come about in our world to distract us? Listen, church, some of the, some of the issues that we have and some of the struggles that we have are because we spend way more time consumed with the messages and the news of this life, of this world. Persecution for righteousness sake confirms this reality in real time. When, when, when you can experience persecution and find yourself anchored, you're anchored only because your perspective is here. And you're literally asking for a revelation of that reality in your life right now, knowing that if you get it, you're going to get it so incompletely and so dimly. But, but your mind and your soul and your heart have to land here, anchor your perspective here, if you want to respond with joy. That's the message that Jesus is communicating. 
listen, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're walking through any degree of persecution and you feel a level of pain and grief, there's nothing wrong with that. Please hear me. But this week, particularly, I don't even quite understand why. I think it's just been through a number of conversations that I've had. And um, a- After I got done processing through this quote, I-, I found myself as I was praying and thinking about this message just deeply grieved. Deeply grieved by the fact that so often what I'm seeing from the body of Christ is a joy getting stolen away because they're so consumed with the reality of what's playing out in all these different places in their world and their life that they've lost their anchor. They've gotten detached from the anchor that that God wants us to have in this perspective. So yes, you can experience moments and and seasons of of pain and grief, but, but walk through that to get your eyes back on this perspective. That's the encouragement here in Matthew 5. It's the encouragement in 2 Corinthians 4. That when we turn our eyes to heaven and we understand the reward waiting for us, secured through faith in Jesus Christ, that that perspective lifts our weary heads and it turns weeping into rejoicing again. Stay here. Let this perspective flood your present reality. Perseverance through persecution is the proof of my promised place in eternal paradise and then when you land here this is the place that when your perspective is fixed that that then as you then your eyes begin to look out to the world and you want to live faithfully with whatever time Jesus gives you in this life it gives you stability then to faithfully act righteously regardless of the response from the world or the religious community And remember into this, please, the example of Jesus. That when he was persecuted, he didn't take up arms. He didn't have this sort of bravado sort of posture of like, if you want to go, I'll go. He didn't do that at all. He didn't even let his followers do that. But he continued to walk faithfully, saw people with mercy, showed love, and acted righteously. Do what you can as as a follower of Christ to testify, to proclaim, to embody the the person of Christ. Faithfully fulfill your biblical obligation. Live out Christ's mission by grace. But listen, your hope isn't rooted in this world. And not even in the outcome of your faith or the influence of your faith. And not in a pain-free existence. I want us more increasingly, instead of being distracted by all the things that come through this, I want us to be distracted by heaven. I want there to be a strange way about the way that we live that we seem to sort of have to come out of, out of this, this, this rejoicing um, worship moments in our life steadily in our days. And we sort of have to come out of that to, to such a degree that it's still right in front of our face and we're looking at things through the lens of heaven. Like, instead of being a people that are so distracted by the realities of this world, when we've been captivated by the love of Jesus Christ and abiding in relationship with him, there should be a deepening of our awareness of this and a deepening of our distraction. It's why I innately sort of have this frustration at how distracted our culture is today with all the wrong things. 
Because every time I distract my things with, tho- with those things, I lose my perspective on heaven. But if I begin to spend time letting this perspective soak into my mind and heart, now I can measure those things. I can realize when those things are drawing me in a a direction that I know I don't want to go, creating emotions in me that I know are not fruitful or God-honoring. And I can, for a moment, detach from that for a second because that's the glory of the gospel. And I can get myself distracted again on heaven And that supplies the perspective that I need, not just in my whole life, but particularly when facing persecution. Fix your eyes on eternity to respond with joy. Respond to persecution with joy by fixing your eyes on eternity. So, with that said in regards to this idea of persecution, um, can I just, can I just for a moment just kind of wrap up and give us a, a little bit of perspective on this time in the Beatitudes collectively? Um, this is, like I said at the beginning, this has been so good and so healthy for our church. Like, just, just look at them all together up on the screen. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, these Beatitudes, church, are the fundamental character traits of kingdom culture. This this series, the things that we've learned in this, the moments of revelation or conviction are not supposed to be a series that we can just be like, that was sweet, I love talking about that, and then on to the next subject. These, these, these beatitudes are, are incredibly important as a, as a lens, a, a part of our character that God wants to form in us so that we can be faithful to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And I would go even beyond that. I would say to be faithful to what God calls us in obedience, to be faithful to the very character of what our obedience should look like. God's calling us for these beatitudes to be a foundational for all of us. All Christians are supposed to manifest all of these traits. We should come back to them again and again and again. Parents in your home, teach these again and again and again and again to your children. Trust me, the religious community and the world will want to teach you something totally different. I've seen it in my own spiritual formation. I've experienced the messages and the temptation of that. The manifestation of these characteristics will leave you recognizing that I cannot produce them in myself. That's one of the beautiful parts because it leads you desperately back to grace alone formed only by abiding in Christ. These characteristics are also foreign to the world because they are the marks of living in a different kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. All of your spiritual formation, all of your gospel faithfulness is dependent, again, church, you recognize it here, it's dependent on a be attitude. Abiding with Christ, embodying the character of Christ, speaking of the name of Christ because you are love him. This is the foundation of kingdom culture. Let's pray together. God, I'm asking in this moment that you would you would continue the beautiful work of forming kingdom culture in us. 
We are desperate for this, God. This message, this truth is an oasis in a world of filled with lies and deceit and brokenness and pain. Even in our own lives, God, we have experienced both the pain of seeing the impact of our own sin and the way that that sin has impacted us. I'm asking, God, that you would, in light of persecution, in light of this message, that you would give us a joy as our faith is confirmed. But, God, let us please test that persecution to make sure that it is for righteousness' sake that it aligns with the character of Jesus and how you walked that path of persecution, that it'd be more familiar with the, the culture of the Bible and your story than the culture of our nation. And in that, God, I pray that you would help us to have discernment and through that reality lived out that we would find joy, a true joy, a joy that is not easily chased away, a joy that is not here today and gone tomorrow, but an abiding, fulfilling joy that satisfies and stirs us up to long for more of Jesus. So I pray, God, that you would lead us in this, that this series, this Beatitude series, we would not leave us as a church and as a people, but it become the guiding perspective for all of faithfulness to you. And in that, God, I know that you will be pleased because we will find ourselves desperate for more of you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.